0: The Psalm of David, Psalm 29, give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength, give unto the Lord the glory due to his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders, the Lord is over many waters, the voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is full of majesty, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon, he makes them also. Skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, Glory! The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forevermore. The Lord will give strength to his people, the Lord will bless. His people with peace. And then Peter gives us this good word to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ grace to you and peace be multiplied. We see in Matthew 28:19, 19 uh, the Great Commission That's that's it's given through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is given unto us and he makes us a, a partaker of, of, of Christ through faith and you, you can see that uh, in First Peter salutation so the, the Holy Spirit is a great comfort to us and as John tells us in chapter 14 verse 16 this Holy Spirit is with us forever from the time He turns our stony heart to flesh and gives us life, He doesn't leave us an orphan. He is always there with us. So let's turn now in our Bibles to page number 632. As we read the Word of God, the precious Word of God given his people for all generations. And this is Jeremiah sounding very much like uh, like Isaiah. And also Ezekiel has similar sentiments. So, let us look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 20. This is the word of the Lord. Declare this in the house of Judah. Proclaim it, or in the house of Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah, hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. Do you not say in their hearts, Let us fear the Lord our God, who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away, and your sins have kept good from you. For wicked men are found among my people. They lurk like fowlers, lying in wait. They set a trap, they catch men. Like a cage full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. Therefore they have become great and rich. They have grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not with justice the cause of the fatherless to make it prosper. And they do not defend the rights of the needy. Shall I punish them for these things, Declares the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? Appalling and horrible things happen in the land. The prophets prophesy falsehood and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes. Now we'll turn in our pew Bible to page 838. We'll be, we are back in the Gospel of Mark for a brief excursion in the Romans. And we've just finished discussing uh, uh, the scribes accusing Jesus of being possessed by Satan, and thus blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and also uh, uh, he had some issues with his family, and uh, and now we come to the parable of the sower, and we'll, we'll be in this passage, chapter 4 of Mark, 1 through 20. This is the Word of God. Again he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and said it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and in his teaching he said to them listen, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil, and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked, They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Thus is the word of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for thy word and pray that you would truly Bury it deep into our hearts that we would be fertile soil, good ground for it to flourish. In your son's name. <coughs> Can you keep a secret? This passage we have of Jesus telling us of a great mystery the mystery, the secret of the kingdom of God. So let's find out what this is all about and why he is speaking all of a sudden in this way. So as we briefly mentioned, he has dealt with the the scribes and their complete rejection of him basically. And so he goes from them and and a crowd collects and and it's a, it's a huge crowd. It seems to be even bigger than previous crowds from how Mark describes it. And Jesus starts teaching them in parables. And we see this in verses 1 through 8. And, and everyone's flocking to him. And no doubt there are many who believe, but judging from what Jesus is going to be telling us here, there are also many, it seems, who are coming who do not believe. And yet Jesus gives them an urgent proclamation. Behold. He wants them to listen. He is proclaiming the word of God, the gospel. Everyone there, he wants to pay attention to what he is saying. Behold. And yet we know there are many there who are there for for various reasons. Even maybe some that are just come to see a good fight. Because that seems to have been what has been occurring with Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. And even a bit of a dissension from his family. So that is where we're going in this parable. And, and first question to ask is, what, what is the parable? And, and the simple definition that we've probably heard that it's an earthly story with a spiritual or heavenly message. That's, that's a basic, decent definition. But we, we've got to be careful when dealing with parables. We want to look at the parable and, and find you know, one or two basic means at most. Throughout church history, this has been abused. Even Augustine, St. Augustine, one of the, the great men of the faith that, that, that we look to, would make every person, every thing, every. be symbolic of something else. And it just. it goes a hundred different directions. And it becomes. instead of making things plainer, it confuses things. That's We don't want to do that. We want to come to one or two basic meanings at most, and then we just want to look at the individuals involved and and, and some of the words that are repeated and, and try and, and learn from that. So what is this parable? Well this this is the parable of the different soils and it's basically about You know what God does with those who reject His Word and and those who are good soil and receive His Word. It only contains two characters, two mentioned characters, Satan and the sower, and the sower is not identified explicitly. (coughs) And the fourth soil, we have the soil by the wayside, the stony soil, the thorny soil, weedy soil and the the good soil. And there's four hearts. We're we're told that the hearts represent the soil. So that is a a symbolism that we we take from the text. We don't make it up. And even though there's four soils and four hearts, there's only really two outcomes. And being that Jesus is going to explain all this, we're going to allow him that honor, and then we'll kind of talk about the the parable itself in, in a few minutes. So why is Jesus teaching in parables? We spoke about this briefly last time, because when he was rebuking the scribes, it, it's, he immediately went into a parable. And that, so we kind of talked about that briefly. But here we have a, Jesus directly addressing that issue. And I want, to, I want to point out verse 9. He starts off his sermon by saying, Behold, he wants people to pay attention to listen to his word. And how does he end the parable? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is an exclamation he is putting out there. He wants to draw the people into his word. He wants everyone to pay attention. But we see that when he got alone, his twelve disciples and many others it seems that heard the parable, Wanted to question him. I'll just keep that in the back of your mind. It's not just the twelve disciples, but there were others who heard the parable who wanted to understand what Jesus was saying. And Jesus tells them that to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parable so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Because of their hardness of their hearts. This is why he is speaking in, in parables. And this is a, a consistent problem we saw. Cain had a hard heart. God spoke to Cain, and Cain still went and murdered his brother. We saw that in Pharaoh and, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel's day. They they spoke of it, and in Jesus's day, obviously we see this. And in today, is it any better? See, people with incredibly hard hearts everywhere we go. And God does not respect a hardened heart. He does not excuse a hardened heart. And he accepts no excuses whatsoever, and and, and He will ultimately condemn those who continue in their hard heartedness. And Paul. Paul speaks of those whose minds have been blinded by Satan. And this is what we're we're looking at here. People whose hearts get darker and harder every day. And why? So that they wouldn't understand and believe. Why? That's striking. That is kind of difficult to deal with sometimes. God is a God of grace and mercy. Let us remember, friends, though, that God is sovereign in all things, at all times, everywhere. And that includes who receives his gospel. And he must not try and, and defend God's reputation in some way. I see that happen on occasion and we make up all sorts of different escapes for God, why this happens, why he does this, why he does that, trying to defend his honor as if he needs it. As if God cannot save who He wants. He he owes salvation to no one. Which is deeply humbling, I hope, for all of us. We've not done anything to deserve it. And we must keep some things in mind about God. He is far more merciful than us. We are yeah. we are not as merciful as God let's remember that we are not as gracious as God when you look to Exodus 20 verse 4 when we're, he's speaking of the, the second commandment we see this mercy. you shall not make for yourself a carved image any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And people get stuck on that. See, the three or four generations? He's, he's visiting the iniquity up, upon three or four generations? Well, that's just, that's not right. But of course, it says of those who hate me. But then, verse six, we read, "But showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments, thousands of generations, inexhaustible mercy and grace."
1: And just think if we allowed ourselves to
0: be governed by the word of God in this crazy world. How much more gracious and merciful! Our nation would be, our world would be. As we wouldn't exalt sin and allow it to multiply and destroy and corrupt and murder. And and we also just have to remember that that God is more just than us. We are still here, aren't we? Shouldn't He have just kind of dissolved us in our sin? Because of our evil, I, I think if any of us had the power, I know I'm speaking for myself as well, I would not put up with the evil people do against me if I weren't for Christ. If I could see the hearts of, of unregenerate people and, and even see the sins of, of, of the people of God, I'd have a hard time holding back. And I'm sure I wouldn't. As it been rightly said, we don't really want God's justice. <laughs> That's the last thing we want. We want God's mercy and grace. And praise the Lord. He streams it out. Now, do you remember Abraham bargaining with God about Sodom? Sodom, that great city with power and influence, and, and God told Abraham, because he was his friend, that, I'm going to wipe it out. And Abraham bargained with God, pleaded with God, oh, you wouldn't destroy the city if there's 50 righteous, would you? God said, no, there's 50 righteous that's fine. And they continued bargaining down and down and down until finally they got to 10. Because I'm sure Abraham was think, well, I don't know if there's 50 righteous people or 40 or 20. But there's got to be 10 because my family lives there. And there's probably a couple other stray people that are righteous. And God said, Yep, if there's 10 righteous people, I will spare Sodom. Well, Sodom spared. There weren't even ten righteous people. There was really just maybe a lot. And he brought his daughters with him. God is far more merciful and just than us. You know, Calvin gives a good analogy. He speaks of the light of the sun on those with, with weak eyes. And how it makes their sight even worse. And, and and it does not help. You would think the light would help, but no, it does not. And it's not the sun's fault that this happens. Likewise, the reprobate, those who reject and hate Christ, are, are to blame. They're doing what they want. I mean, as I pointed out, there were Were there not many besides the disciples who came to Jesus to ask Him about the parable? So now we we get to the parable itself where Jesus tells us about it. Jesus enlightens them. Notice that these all seem to respond favorably initially. Yet the unholy Trinity, Satan, self, society, Satan, the world, the flesh, conspire to keep them in darkness. And the Word is central in everything in this parable. Keep that in mind. So we're told verse 14, the sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Like a bird of prey, Satan swoops down and takes that seed which is on the surface and takes it away. Satan is always there as our enemy. Once again, this is Mark bringing him up. He speaks about, Jesus speaks about Satan a lot, and you must remember that that while Satan is not omniscient and all-knowing as God, he knows a lot over tens of thousands of years of observing humans. He
1: knows more than we do.
0: And, and when he sees that, that the gospel has been preached and, and someone has the word sown on their heart, he's not happy. And he's going to bring all manner of distractions and things which will snatch away The Word of Christ. Whether it be food, pleasure, knowledge, sports, any manner of things Satan can distract us with and cause us to to lose sight of what Christ has given us in the Gospel. And even more, we we see that the, the flesh, ourself, the Gospel, sounds good until you don't get what you want. So we see... In verse 16, these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So like seed that's planted on ground and you might actually think it's decent ground. When we bought our house 100,000 years ago the backyard had rocky soil in the back uh, and we had to deal with that and, and make it so that grass would grow and we did that not well but, uh, but anyways uh, uh, so the sower is throwing the, the seed and, and, and it tries to grow but it, but it hits a rock hits the rock and it springs up it takes us as far as it can go And I'm not a farmer. I'm not a terribly good gardener. I enjoy it. But then the sun comes out. And since it has no root, it's got nothing to feed the rest of the plant, the flower, or whatever. And the sun scorches it. The sun that should bring life brings death and it dies. And so many people They hear the Gospel and they love it. Why wouldn't you? Salvation. Freedom in Christ. Satan, sin and death are done away with and they hear this and they think it's great but it hasn't really taken root. And then some kind of persecution, some kind of tribulation comes along and that's it. And I, I... I know of at least two people like this in my life. That, man, you know, they proclaimed the gospel to them for years, and, and all of a sudden the light seems to come on, and and they're all about Jesus, and they join a church, and and it seems like they're just growing like a weed, but they're actually not growing. They have no depth. The heart is wicked above all things. Who can know it? They have no root in themselves. The Spirit is not supplying them with life throughout their body. And I I think uh, the one case was a matter of he was in a family that belonged to a faith that was kind of a United Nations kind of faith and everybody, everything works. The exclusivity of Jesus Christ was offensive to those around Him. So He could not deal with that tribulation, even that minor persecution. And He will it. And then others are still among thorns. And they are those who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. These are are people who love the world and the things therein. The love of the Father is is not in them. And very vibrant, strong language here. The word is choked, strangled, snuffed out. It's the word goes down, but the the heart has weeds and thorns that's just Crowd it and 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 choke it and keep it from sprouting up into eternal life. And this is this can be as we bring it to our day and age. It, it can be for just as the others. It can be for myriads of reasons. We want prestige. We want to be cool. We want the best prizes. We want to be invited to the cool parties to hang out with the cool people. More any number of other considerations. And, and the example I think of uh, uh, is how many times have we had certain uh congressmen or senators, politicians of some sort that tell us I am going to go to Washington. I'm going to feed it up. I mean, that's a cesspool. place is awful. I'm going to get it done. You can count on me. Vote for me. And then what happens? Well, you know, they're not one of the cool people. They're not, they're not invited to the cocktail parties where they can hang out with the lobbyists and and get in with the in crowd. They're not invited to the dinner parties. They're they're shunned by the media. That they crave so choked out. The word cannot prosper in the soil like that. but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold this is the work of the Holy Spirit working through the word of God this is the good news taking root this is a a field with fertile soil. But the sower has cast his seed upon and made ready by the Holy Spirit for the Word of God to sink in. These are those who truly hear the Word of God. They have ears to hear. Why? Who's don't know the Holy Spirit working in us. It is the most humbling doctrine in the world. Nothing like it. And the Holy Spirit works His Word in, into us and, and we have ears to hear as opposed to others who Christ spoke about earlier who have ears but they do not hear they use their ears strictly for ornamentation it seems to hang stuff off of or stick things into them which can be very nice but if they can't really hear what good are they are they and these hearts that had the word sewn into them and the spirit working in them They are springing forth with gratitude. And they're a fruitful plant or tree that's bearing a plentiful harvest at least 30 times greater than what you would expect. or well, maybe 60 or 100. You know, are by the, outnumbered by the soils that are unproductive. The heart's that don't receive the word of God, we see examples of three of them, and and I, there's probably many more. These are just the ones that kind of respond favorably to start with. There's, we know that there's, all kinds of people who we just rejected out of hand. Jesus here seems to be talking to those who you think are are on the path. This is a work of the Holy Spirit that grows God's kingdom. This is the mystery of the kingdom of God. It is a work of God's Word wrought into the fertile soil through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, can you keep a secret? Well, I hope so. But don't keep this one. Be fertile. fertile soil. Allow your heart to be plowed by the Holy Spirit. That the Word of God would grow in you richly and take deep root. And when it takes root, it, it works through the whole plant. It works through your whole body. It's in your blood. I believe it was Spurgeon, they said, that if you ever bled, it would bleed out the Word of God, the Gospel. And this is... This is the great work of, of, of Christ in growing His kingdom. Let the Word of God work through... You meditate upon it. Read it. Live it. Teach it. Proclaim it. This is what we have to work with the Word of God. This is our weapon, the weapon of our warfare. Now, this is what the Holy Spirit uses. To him and growing the kingdom of God. For this word is living and active, sharper and more powerful than any two edged sword, able to cut between bone and marrow, soul and spirit, and it's a discerner even of our very thoughts and the intentions of our soul. Let's pray. We do thank you for your word, Lord. And we pray that you would work in us, and humble us, and bless us, and grow us in your word, that we would be fruitful bearing Christians for your kingdom and your glory. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.